for a lot of people, they get rid of those dreams and they become practical while they're progressing through uh, the different promotions that come to you as you're going through your career. And so I kind of put that dream on the shelf and then come back to it. And then when I exited, I was like, man, this is a place I need to go. It's what I always said I wanted to do. The time is now if I'm a bet on myself. And so. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, a show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of Millionaires and Bill Podcast. This is episode number 343. Stace, how's it going? Going great. I think that maybe you should share. You're unplugging. Yeah, I know. It's been a few weeks since I've been on the mic. Listeners probably had no idea, but that's all good. But yeah, I, I unplugged a little bit and uh, spent some time down in Colombia and Aruba. Shout out to our Colombian listeners. There's quite a few of you, I know. Wish I could have told you I was coming before, but uh, yeah, kind of kept a little under the wraps uh, until I got back. Didn't know what to expect, but a beautiful country. Spent some time, spent some time in Medellin and Guatapé. And uh, yeah, went down for a little quick trip, get some wake surfing in. Beautiful lake there, so uh, do some hiking in the mountains and and uh, some zip lining and horseback riding and four wheeling and I don't know we did a bunch of stuff just two dudes celebrating a 40th birthday not mine <laughs> rocking and rolling as much as we could and kiteboarding in Garuba anyway glad you got to unplug that doesn't happen for you very often and I know you mentioned it on uh, on LinkedIn a little bit talking about taking that opportunity to unplug so anyway glad you had fun glad you're back I, I'm overjoyed you're back, actually, because <laughs> hey, I need help. You had a good time with your sisters and your mom. That's too. true. That's true. No, I got I had a little bit of girl time while you were gone, and it was great. Yeah. But yeah, back at it. Excited to be back on the mic. It's been a few weeks, and uh, yeah, then not going to skip a beat. So uh, uh, today's episode, I'm super excited. We have Jerome. He's got a net worth of uh, over a million dollars, but less than 10 and uh yeah he's a, a corporate america dropout as he calls it and has uh, uh, turned over to real estate and business and kind of the entrepreneurial route so super excited great conversation with him and uh get into the details and weeds of his journey had a couple of reviews come in the last few weeks in fact got one on skype or skype on spotify uh, this comes from rick 1129 rick says, I'm interested in sharing my story, net worth $7 million. Send us an email. I'm ex- I'm, uh, I can't really respond on, on uh, Spotify, but uh, yeah, always looking for a great new guest. Love to have you on the show. Millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Uh, also, I've had a couple come in uh, specifically regarding people's incomes. And uh, yeah, we used to ask that a lot more. And then... I guess we've gotten away from it a little bit, partly because the range is, we're getting a little crazy in some respects, but then also it's, we had a lot of guests and in their intake form that was getting difficult to narrow down what we're actually 
you know, between people's investment income or W-2 income or business income is just all over the board of how do you define income and is it, what are you going to put on your tax return, which, you know, if you've got NOL carryovers or whatever it may be, it was just it's, some, some started getting complex and it was like, this just isn't really the intent of the question. Uh, but I understand that for some guests, uh, it may be helpful to have context into what they're making or what their income is. But like I said, it is, uh, you know, as income net worth level, or I should say as net worth rev- levels rise, the income situation uh, becomes drastically complex. And the other part to use is we uh, as this show grows globally. It's very hard to put income in context in some respects with, uh, you know, the dollar being what it is, you know, for example, I had a Canadian guest last week, but a bunch of his money was earned and, you know, the, the, uh, exchange rate was more one-to-one than it is today. And, uh, at, at any rate, I hear you. Uh, maybe we'll try to include it a, a few more times, but like I said, it just becomes a, a very complex question with some of our guests into what their actual income is and how you define income, uh, much more complex than, uh, you know, putting together a balance sheet, so to speak, and figuring out what your net worth is. So, which is also can be complex with some people, but that seems to be a little bit easier uh, than it is with uh, uh, income and defining income. Can I get a drum roll? (laughs) Drum roll, please, for we are excited to announce our very first MU Meetup, who decided on November 8th and 9th of this year. It's a Friday, Saturday that will be here in Austin, Texas. So more details to come. Jace, if you want to share anything now or we can... Yeah, no, I'm gonna definitely going to be pretty uh, pretty low-key. We'll see how many people. I'm probably going to cap it because I don't want that many, you know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wanting to do crazy... Uh, big hosting thing but i know there's been lots that have asked for it over the years and uh think we can make it happen this year we're gonna we're gonna do it so be early november weather in austin should be spectacular and we'll plan a few fun activities and i like to play so be a lot of playing and uh, we'll try to get some education in somehow or you know connect with each other and figure out the challenges that everybody's going through between the listeners and the guests and everything else. So yeah, uh, I'll be at November 8th and 9th in Austin, Texas. I'm excited for it. Plenty, uh, plenty of weeks and months to plan. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested, send us an email. I know several of you have already. I'll try to reach back out. Like I said, I've been a little MIA for the last, uh, little bit here. So I've got quite a bit of catching up to do. I know there's several emails that have come in in the last uh, couple weeks here that I need to get back to. So uh, it's not you. It's me. I'll get there. Stacy will help me. Uh, yeah, without any further ado, let's get the episode to date with Jerome. Jerome, do you want to just give us about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, Jace. I am a corporate America dropout. Back in 2016, after building a $20 million division for Fortune 550, I left corporate America. Mainly because I had to lay people off each year. Imagine getting a phone call at 4.55 on December 24th and it goes something like this. Hey, Jace, uh, I know you and I have been going back and forth about this for the past few weeks and I made a decision. Uh, We're going to lay half the team off. And 
I know it wasn't actually you on the other end. It was me. And I said, hey, man, that's not the right idea. He said, yeah, that's why we've been going back and forth about this. But I called to let you know that I made a decision. And after going back and forth for a few minutes, he said, look, I I called to let you know what we're going to do. And that's what we're going to do. I'll talk to you in the new year. And so um, I spent, you know, that week in between Christmas and the New Year's, figuring out who was going to have a job and who wasn't. And that cut me deep. And I promised myself I would never do it again. Uh, Fast forward to the next year, Thanksgiving, the same thing was getting ready to happen. And so I decided to leave corporate and started real estate full time. And that was a a long, windy road. And uh, in the end, I feel like we had quite a bit of success, but it, it wasn't without its hitches, man. And so that's what we've been doing since we left corporate. And uh, really excited to be on the show with you. Yeah, and we're going to get into all the details. I love that corporate America dropout. That's great. So before we before we get into all the details, what is your net worth today? Yeah, somewhere between one and ten million. I know that's a broad range, but what I would say, and the listeners, I hope you are aware of this. There's a special designation called accredited, and so the goal here is to be worth over a million dollars without counting your primary residence. And if you can do that, then you get access to what is called a protected or private placement uh, opportunities. And that's not something that most people get access to. And so there's three ways to qualify to be accredited. You can have a license, a securities license. The second way is income over uh, 200,000 for the past two years and expect them to do more. And I think it's 300,000 if you're a couple. And then the other way is through assets. And so we qualify through income and assets for that class. And I know this podcast is about being a millionaire, but I think that accredited one is really important for folks who want to get passive income. Yeah, that's awesome. So net worth millionaire, how are your assets divided up? What's the allocation there? Yeah, all that stuff's in real estate, man. Um, we've, we've got some 401ks and some brokerage accounts out there, but we don't even count them because the real estate gets us to that accredited status. So all the 401k and, and brokerage accounts, is that from kind of the corporate life that you had previously or do you still contribute to those? I do not. I don't think... Um, those 401ks are the right place for most people to put their income if they have any interest in retiring before they're 60, which I do. Um, you know, you got a lot of penalties. You end up paying a bunch of taxes if you're not careful, if you're doing pre-tax contributions to things. And I know there's a lot of financial advisors out there who would disagree with me, but if you can figure out how to get um, accelerated returns and get them in a way that allows you to use them without the penalties, I think it's the right move for a lot of folks. When you were in corporate, were you maxing out those accounts? I was. I was. Um, I thought that I was going to stay in corporate for 40 years. And I was on the American dream plan, right, where you, you get a good job after going to a good school and you work a job for 30 or 40 years with the hope that you can live for 10 or 15 years after you retire. And I learned pretty quickly after exiting that there's a whole new world out here. There's people who are work optional in their 30s, 40s, and early 50s. And so this concept of work until you're 65, 70, 75 uh, just went out the window for me pretty quickly. So let's, let's rewind just a little bit as you made this transition. So you're getting these phone calls. You decide to leave at some point. 
Walk us through that transition and why real estate? Yeah, the transition was a brutal one. I, I did everything wrong. So I, I would tell nobody to follow in my footsteps from this perspective of transitioning out. Um, but I had about a year and a half worth of expenses saved. And so I felt like if I couldn't figure out how I was going to earn money over the course of 18 months, then I was probably in trouble. What I didn't realize was when I was going into real estate, it was going to be pretty capital intensive. And some of that money that I had saved for living expenses was going to have to be invested into my business. And so that's what I ended up doing, especially when I got pretty heavy into fixing and flipping. I picked real estate and fixing and flipping was not my first choice. I picked real estate because I was sitting on a stoop my sophomore year in college with my buddy Duran, and we were doing a little bit of math. I was paying three ninety five for my bedroom in my apartment. I had two other roommates. They were paying three ninety five for their bedrooms downstairs. Duran's roommates and him were paying the same amount. And so we multiplied across the complex. The guy was making $700,000 a year, but we never even saw him or talked to him. And the question was, well, if he can do that, and I'm just trying to figure out how to make $70,000 a year. I'm pretty sure this is what I should be doing. I mean, think about that, right? You never saw him. You never talked to him. I mean, he decoupled his time for his money. The only issue, Jace, I had was that I was the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. Like Nobody with a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio was coming to the house for the cookout. And so I didn't know how to do it. And so I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go into corporate. I'll figure out how to meet new people who are doing the stuff. I'll make some money. I'll get a credit score. Like These things will potentially open up the doors for me later. Now, for a lot of people, they get rid of those dreams and they become practical while they're progressing through uh, the different promotions that come to you as you're going through your career. And so I kind of put that dream on the shelf and then come back to it. And then when I exited, I was like, man, this is the place I need to go. It's what I always said I wanted to do. The time is now if I'm a bet on myself. And so that's why I went back to the real estate. How much income did you have when you made that jump from, from real estate or in other sources? Yeah, I think I did like 170 or 180 that year. And how much did you have coming in from outside of your job, though? None. Zero. So you made the leap with no income. No income, no clients, no leads, and not a real plan. Yeah. Wow. And how long did it take you to kind of get ramped up? So <laughs> the funny part is I didn't have income for over a year, right? So in real estate, I mean, think about it. I, I thought I was going to buy an apartment. I spent like four months trying to figure out how to get that done. That didn't work. So then I converted and bought uh, an, um, a townhouse. And I fix and flip that. I guess it's more of a row house than a townhouse. I fix and flip that, but it took me, you know, six, eight months to finish the rehab. And then I was on market for a couple of months. And so that was the first time that I actually made money on the backside of um, leaving corporate was the proceeds from the sale of that flip. And even that, like the day that I was supposed to close, one of the contractors put a lien on the property to try to hold up the closing. It, it was a whole cluster, man. And so, um, like I said, I didn't do it the right way at all, at all. What would you have done differently? Yeah. So for a while, we started helping people figure out how to get exit ready and exit corporate. and what we found was one, you want to have nine months worth of expenses saved. But the next thing that you want to do is sell something, 
You just need to sell one of them. What we figured out is the difference between zero to one, that first sell, is the hardest sell you ever have. And people kind of like scratch up their face and like, that can't be true. If you haven't been in a sales role and this is your first time putting together a product and selling it to somebody or a service and offering it to somebody, um, there's a whole lot of emotion that goes into that experience. And a lot of times that keeps people from making the progress that they need to make. In fact, there are some people who have so much anxiety about selling that they'd rather go back and get a job than sell. Shopify is the e-commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers into buyers. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business and take it to the next level. Sign up for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com unveiled. That's all lower coast. Go to shopify.com unveiled to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash unveiled. And thanks to Shopify supporting for supporting today's episode. So fast forward at, at this point, what does the real estate portfolio look like? Is it all single family, multifamily? Yeah, so we got out of single family pretty quickly. I realized that uh, fixing and flipping was more of a job than the job that I had. <laughs> I just didn't enjoy it. And on the backside of that, there was a lot of cash going out and waiting and hoping that when you got to the backside of the deal, that the cash would come back greater than what you expended to complete the project. I'll never forget having a contractor get mad, um, taking the um, supply line off an upstairs toilet and flooding an entire house that was due to close two days later. Right. And so when stuff like that happens, you, you can actually, um, see how much of a risk you are. And if you only have one, two, three projects going at a time and you're looking for that deal to be your next payday to keep the business running, you can see that you're at risk pretty quickly. And so we moved out of that after, I don't know, maybe two years and our, our rental portfolio associated with apartments grew. And so that was where we really spent our time focused. Um, and growing a portfolio. We started in Richmond, Virginia, and then started buying here in Greensboro, North Carolina. How quickly after all that did you start syndicating real estate? We don't syndicate. So everything that we've done to date has been a joint venture. And syndication for a lot of for anybody out there who's not familiar with the term, I think about it like being on a jumbo jet, right? You're you're flying across country. We're gonna fly to Brazil for the F one race a couple of days from now. And uh we're going to, everybody that we talk to that works for the airline is getting paid to be there. Um, in the syndication team, the general partners are the folks. So the stewardess, the gate agent, the pilots, they're all responsible for helping you get there. And you just put your money in as a limited partner or a passenger on the plane and you just go along for the ride. We, I didn't like that. It felt to me very much like... <laughs> 
maximizing value to the shareholders. And I got out of corporate because I wanted to run my own deal. And so what we do is we joint venture. And so it's me and a handful of partners and we go in and we take the deal down. We put all the risk capital up. Everybody's responsible for some portion of the project. And we get, we have what I consider to be a larger equity share, even though I guess for a lot of the properties are smaller than what we see people do in syndication. Interesting. So how many doors total at this point? So we were up around 100. We sold two properties over the past two years. So one was 23 and one was 20. So now we're down in like the 50 range, but we're still sitting on the proceeds from the deals that we sold. Nice. What the, in your opinion, I mean, what does real estate outlook look like with rates, you know, at, at, highs that we haven't seen in, in quite a few decades. I mean, are you still active, still optimistic about real estate and finding deals? Yeah, I think the debt has, is tougher now. I think it's going to impact valuations in some way. I think there are going to be some people who are going to have residents who are impacted by the economic slowdown that I I don't think the news is reporting, but every business owner that I know is reporting. And so it's really interesting to see how things move forward. What I would say, though, is real estate isn't a poor man's game. If you're bootstrapping it, if you're trying to scrape it together, if you're trying to rub nickels, then it's not the right time to be in it because real estate is a game for the person who can ride out the down cycle. If you have to sell in the middle of a down cycle, you're going to lose money or you're going to have somebody take equity that maybe they didn't earn, but because they were liquid at a time when you weren't, they got access to the equity that you created in the property. And so what I tell people is to be really careful. Um, Being too aggressive in this space is a great way for you to go bankrupt. How do you typically source your deals at this point? We're always direct to seller. Um, The concept that you're going to go buy something on the market at a discount is one that doesn't make sense to me. Brokers are there to maximize the transaction value. They're there to convince the seller that the property is worth X. They're going to try to convince you that it's worth X. But from an operator standpoint, if you buy the property at full market value, and then you have a plan to increase the value of the property, that's going to be a challenge. And I think it's going to be a huge challenge because the struggles that are there are ones that an inexperienced operator aren't going to, they're not going to see. They're not going to understand what it costs for things to be fixed. They're not going to understand what's going to happen when residents see opportunity to Uh, take advantage because somebody's being kind. You know, COVID has really upset owner-resident dynamics in a lot of ways. And so I think it's really important that your, your policies are pretty stringent going forward. And I think it's really difficult for folks who are just getting into the business to understand the importance of that. Do you plan to keep a majority of your wealth going forward in real estate? So I think real estate is a great place to park wealth, but I don't know that it grows it at the velocity that we are interested in. And so part of the reason why we've sold what we've sold is because we're interested in operating businesses that don't have a 
heavy debt burden. We don't like the thought of debt service, especially when we're relying on other people um, to pay that debt service. It sounds great in concept when people are selling you on the thought of real estate and passively investing in real estate. But we've seen the flip side of that when people don't pay. And as the owner, if the residents don't pay, then you get to pay. And, you know, during COVID, we didn't have uh, forbearance and some of the other benefits that other people may have received. And so in that space, um, we were writing checks to pay mortgages for properties when um, the residents weren't paying or we had some vacancy that caused a situation where we needed to cover a shortfall. So you're making a transition a little bit from real estate to business. Is that, did I hear that correctly? Yeah. So the, the beautiful thing about the apartments is their businesses, right? They have a P&L. They've got trailing financials. There's a product that's being sold or, you know, access to the facility being sold. Um, and there's other things that you can sell along the way. And what we realized was, hey, we can double the value of a building in about five years. But if we take that same skill set and apply it to businesses, we can probably double the value in 24 months. And the velocity of that equity creation, we think, is a tool that's going to allow us to grow wealth at a pace that we haven't been able to in the past. And you know what that's going to look like? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that we started doing in 2020 was, well, really focusing on more than started doing, was working with business owners and figuring working with them to help them grow the business that they were already operating. And so what we saw was we were able to help most of them double their top line revenue. And then they were taking twice as much time off. And we're like, okay, this is a pretty good business model for helping people get what they want. But it felt like a one night stand. It was like, man, now after our engagement's up, they get to keep their new revenue and we get to walk away and say, we helped them create that revenue. That doesn't feel equitable. And so now our position is, well, we're going to help you grow it. And then we want to have a minority position in the business and participate in the upside because the goal for us is to help them scale and then exit. And that exit then allows them to go do something else. But the first and foremost thing that we think is most important is becoming work optional. Interesting. So in terms of net worth and retirement, I know you mentioned you didn't want to retire at 60. I mean, where do you go from here? Is there a target net worth or is there a target passive income goal that you're striving for? Yeah. So the target net worth is 10 million. And then at 10 million, we'll decide if 100 million is the next step. We may just quit at 10. Um, 10 has been the number since I think I was 22 or 23. And getting there is exciting. But in the same breath, I've got a couple of mentors who tell me that I'm not going to be satisfied with the lifestyle that I get to live with a $10 million net worth. Um, from a passive income standpoint, you know, I, I think $5 million. So we have this goal of giving $5 million a year away. And so we need to create north of that. And so it's going to be a really interesting paradigm that we're going to create because I think we're going to have a whole lot of income and it's not going to show up as favorably as we would like on the net worth um, from a net worth standpoint. And I'm just trying to put things in perspective. So if I want to get $5 million away and I've got Tim and I'm only talking about a $10 million net worth, that 
doesn't actually translate well mathematically. Like the number's going to have to be a whole lot bigger, which is why my mentors are telling me, Jerome, 10 million isn't enough. Um, you're going to have to go bigger to do the giving stuff that you want to give. And what is that giving stuff that you really want to do? Yeah. So we've, we're really focused on a couple of different things. We think education is extremely important. It's the thing that allowed me to make as much as my dad in my first job when he'd been in the military for however long and working for the post office for probably a decade or maybe a decade and a half afterwards. And so the ability to do that and do it debt free, I think is extremely valuable, especially for those kids who are first gener- first uh, go away to college kids. The other thing that we're really interested in is teen moms. I've seen a whole lot of success stories where, you know, girls have gotten pregnant through maybe no fault of their own in, in their teens and seeing them make a transition um, and really like moving from government assistance and then becoming high income earners or business owners. Like those success stories, I don't think should be one off or I don't think they should be anything but normal. I don't think having a child young should be like a, a sentence to poverty. And then, you know, that kid being a high risk kid and in the prison system. And so I think there should be some programs and some opportunities around, um, those young women who end up in that space as parents early on. That's cool. And do you have like a a big giving goal that you want to hit? So from the education standpoint, we've already endowed a full scholarship at my alma mater, North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Um, And there's an engineering student every year who gets the full ride. Our goal over the next two years is to get that to a second. And eventually we'd like to have probably 10 or so students that are on a full scholarship. And I think that would be pretty impactful overall. From the um, teen mom thing, you know, we're we're still figuring out what that looks like in the proper execution. I know there's a lot of programs that are already out there. Most of them are underfunded. And so instead of building something from scratch, and this is actually um, something that we figured out from the business standpoint, we, we think it's stupid to build stuff from nothing. It's so much more efficient to take something that's already working and figure out how to make it work better. And so from our perspective, we'll be looking for probably an organization to help scale or grow. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of shoes that you purchased? <laughs> I got some cowboy boots, man. I got some Tacovas. I think they're like 450 or something like that. There you go. There you go. You What about Austin, the uh, right? most expensive? those? Yeah, we do. We do. What about the uh, most expensive meal out that you paid for? Man, we we had we were out in Dubai a couple of years ago, and we, and we had Wagyu steak for the first time. That that was pretty wild. Um, I never forget. My lady was trying to trying to order it well done. I was like, "There's no way we're we're buying that well done." And so that that was actually a really interesting meal for sure. Okay, what about the most expensive car? Ooh, huh. Yeah, Nissan GTR, man. Nissan GTR is the most expensive car. You remember how much you paid for it? <laughs> I'm not comfortable saying that, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Just know it's fast. Do you still have it? I do. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Yeah. Is that the daily driver or is that the the, the, the date driver? The date night driver? 
Oh man, it it probably gets ten thousand miles a year. Um, but okay. I don't drive it every day. Yeah, it, it gets okay. driven regularly. We just did a trip. It was crazy. We just did a trip to the tail of the dragon. There had to be a hundred GTRs. It, it was absolutely nuts. It was amazing. Was that a was that a big bucket list car that you wanted to get? Yeah, yeah. I mean, ever since I was a, a kid, I wanted to own Godzilla. And uh, this is actually the second iteration. I, I got one probably, I don't know, like 2016, 2015. And then I sold it or got rid of it when um, I was leaving corporate because I didn't want any uh, obligations other than being able to focus on the business and reinvest everything there. And then a couple of years back, we, we got back in the game because we, we felt like we uh, sacrificed long enough and we deserved to indulge a little bit based on some of the success that we had. Nice. So was there a certain point, was it a certain deal number or whatever that you got to, or was it just, hey, I'm feeling I'm feeling good, confident at this point, and I'm, I'm going get, to get one of these guys? It was more about the steadiness of the income. So I think one of the things is, is we talked about, you know, I talked about I did everything wrong. The erratic income, the lumpy income of entrepreneurship early on is something that I don't think most people actually prepare for. And so when things became pretty stable and I felt like I could actually plan for what was going to happen and have some predictability on what income was going to be one month to the next, it felt really good. And then the other thing was, you know, we were, we had gotten up to about a hundred doors. And so it felt, it felt a whole lot better than it had earlier on when it was like, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to do if somebody doesn't pay rent. Yeah, no, I hear you. What's a key lesson that you learned from childhood? <laughs> so uh, on Thursday, every week, my, me and my mom would play in the front yard. And uh, the trash truck, I could always hear it from the main road turning onto our cul-de-sac. We were at their house on the right. And so he hit the first two houses. And then I would uh, like run over to the trash can as he was coming to our house. And Lonnie would hop off. He flipped the top up. It spin like a top fall flat. And then he'd do a little pirouette, dump the trash in the back of the trash truck, and then like throw it like a Frisbee back to the corner. And it never fell over. I was like, ooh. And then he would always do what I wanted him to do, which was smash the trash. It was the coolest thing. It was like big machine, lots of noise, and the smell of the trash. I don't know why I like the smell of the trash, but I guess little boys are weird. And so I looked at my mom, and I was like, Mommy, I want to be a trash man when I grow up. And she said, baby, I don't know if being a trash man is going to allow you to live the lifestyle that you want to live. Don't you like your Jordan jeans? Don't you like your, your guest shirt? And I was like, yeah, I do. And she was like, yeah, well, you know, daddy goes to work as much as he does so that we can buy those things and don't you like our house and it was like yeah and she was and so she was like you might maybe you shouldn't be a trash man maybe you should own the company and then you know when it's hot outside you you don't have to be on the back of the truck and when it's really cold outside you don't have to be on the back of the truck but on the days where it's nice if you want to go out you can go out and I was like oh okay and I didn't like what she said because I thought that you should just do stuff that you want to do. I thought that, you know, if it was cool, that that is what you should do. But I think everybody at some point is trying to solve a money problem. And so the ability to solve that money problem, and I guess the faster you solve that money problem, allows you to have the freedom to actually be work optional and do the things that really make you excited to do them. 
Wow, thanks for uh, for sharing that story. Uh, what's the most fun that you've had with money? Man, I will tell you the the cross country trip that I did with my family this summer was probably the best money I've ever spent. Um, we started in Greensboro, North Carolina, and before it was all over, we ended up in L.A. at Universal Studios, and we stopped in Atlanta, New Orleans, Tuskegee, Alabama. Houston, Carlsbad, New Mexico, El Paso, Phoenix, and Vegas before getting over to Beverly Hills in LA and being able to see all of those cool national landmarks, getting to go to Buffalo Soldiers Museum, uh, seeing Whitney Plantation, um, doing all of the uh, Martin Luther King monuments in Atlanta. It just gave me a real appreciation for all the things that have happened here in America over the you know, 400 years that we've been here and to see my kids' eyes open wide when they saw some of the things that most kids don't ever actually get to see, but they read about or they happen to um, see on a movie. It, it was uh, it was definitely transformational for me. That's cool. Do you have another trip like that planned? Yeah, well, not yet. It was funny because um, we, we did a, a much smaller one the year before where we did the Yellowstone and uh, Bozeman, Montana, and uh, a couple other things. So I have this ambition to get my kids to all 50 states before they graduate high school. And uh, we're, we're, checking, we're checking a lot of them off the boxes for sure. We got to do a lot of stuff in the middle of the country. But uh, it, We'll figure stuff out. We're probably going to do Hawaii next year because I think they'll like the black sand beaches. You and me both, man. Some of those middle states and uh, the Dakotas. Yeah. I did just recently go to Wisconsin for the first time uh, we, not too long we ago. We did that. So we did Ohio, Detroit, um, and then we ended up at the State Fair in Milwaukee. That was wild. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I had my brother uh, not moved there. Or us had bit some business up that way. I don't. I don't know when I would have gotten up that way, but still got to still got to hit the Dakotas, and then I've got some stuff in the Northeast that I've never been to as well. But what's the craziest thing you've ever done to earn money? <laughs> Car hop at Sonic. <laughs> oh man, was that your first job too? Yeah, man, it was awful. So to bring things full circle, man, like it was a second night, and the the trash liner ripped. And so all of the trash was just in the bottom of the trash can. And they wanted me to clean the trash can out. And that was my last night working at Sonic. Two days. That didn't last long, brother. Oh, man. That's crazy. Do you remember what you made? It was like, I think it was like four fifteen plus tips or something like that. Wow. Wow. Good for you, though. Got your start at Sonic. That's wild. What is a closely held belief that you once had that you recently changed your mind on? Mm. I, I get a lot of flack for this, but I stand beside it. Being humble is the quickest way for you to not have the life that you want to live. If you look up the definition for humble, it's of low stature or of low importance. And I don't know anybody who feels like they are deserving uh, when they are of low importance. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice when we put ourselves in that position. Now, there's a difference between living humbly and being humble, but I think we do ourselves a disservice when we don't actually believe that we deserve and we don't know that we are worthy of the things that we desire to have. Awesome. How do you balance everything? I think balance is an illusion. Um, I, I think it's all integration. I think the thought that you're going to compartmentalize things and put them in a specific 
bucket or a specific box and that they're never going to fill, fill out of that is like a kid feeling like their food's never going to touch on their plate. And so I think communication with the folks who are going to be impacted is the most important thing that you can do so that you can actually have the flexibility and freedom that you need to accomplish and achieve the things that you're going to accomplish and achieve. Now, I think there are some hard boundaries that if you don't live up to or respect them, that will negatively impact the experience that you're having. Like, I didn't do any calls when we were driving across the country, as an example. And But I communicated with folks that, hey, you're going to be impacted this week. But uh, I, I don't think that life is just set up in a way where your your food on your plate won't touch. I, I think they will. And I think it's important for everybody to understand that so that there's not unnecessary friction about it. What is worth spending the money on for you? Oh, creating experiences. So the car is only important or valuable because my kids and my family get the ride in it. Um, the trips are only valuable because you got the right people on the trip with you. The The private jet is no fun if you don't have good company on the jet. Like there is nothing that isn't enhanced by having the right people around it. And there are so many things that could be boring or undesirable that are done or that are so much better because you have the right people on the journey. It, I won't say that the destination doesn't matter, but I can tell you that the journey to get in a destination is so much better based on who's on the journey with you. What is not worth spending the money on to you? <laughs> things to impress other people the thought that you're doing something to impress somebody who's probably not thinking about you is is the fastest way for you to regret every penny that you ever spend because at the end of the day they're not impressed by you they're impressed by the thing that you have and that doesn't connect or transcend or become a part of you you can't buy status awesome any last pieces of advice for somebody who's just starting out on their journey? Your dream should be real. And if you made it to this part of the interview, know that you're charged with that. Know that it's a requirement that you go do that. Know that there are people who you haven't met yet who are counting on you to do the thing so that they know that it's possible for them to do the thing. And them knowing that it's possible to do the thing then forces them to do the thing. And so you end up with this ripple effect that just makes the world a better place because people are out making the world a better place just by virtue of encountering people who are living out their dreams. Awesome. Where can people uh, find Jerome and get in touch with him? Yeah, man. LinkedIn is probably the best place to go. I'm Jerome Myers. I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. Awesome. That's Jerome with net worth of over a million dollars, but below 10. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Chase. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.